Welcome to Keep Idaho Red Radio. This is Tom Loon and Vic Miller. And um, Vic, we have the opportunity now to visit with our new state superintendent of public instruction, uh, Debbie Critchfield. And folks, you'll remember that Debbie was elected in November. Uh, she took office the 1st of January and hit the ground running when the legislature came to town about a week later. And so we've had a chance to visit with her a couple times uh, during the session. And now the session's over. Um, bills have been passed. Some have not. Uh, but this is a good chance to kind of catch up on um, education in Idaho and also uh, Debbie Critchfield's transition into this important position. So, Debbie, thank you for being on Keep Idaho Red Radio, and thanks for always making yourself available. Absolutely. These are my favorite conversations. Well, great. Well, let's just jump into a conversation then. Um, so, having been there, done that, talk to us about you went from campaign to election and then transitioning into actually governing. And if people haven't experienced this, there's a big difference between campaigning and governing. And so talk to us about that transition and kind of the reality, the responsibilities that, are, that, are, that come and are inherent with the position of uh, superintendent of public instruction. I'm gonna start off by saying that the pace and um, at which the legislative process works, coming into office, having to look at a Department of Education that you're now the, the manager and administrator of, combined with all of the things that you're trying to put together uh, from what you campaigned on and the things that I believe were, were important. If I had not had the, the 20 years of experience that I've had at every level of education, I, I frankly don't know how, how people would have survived. You know, you have to have had some experience in systems. You have to have had relationships established. Um, it could things have happened, yes, but I, I just I can't even imagine uh, what my first hundred days would have been like were it not for just a, a lot of work that I had done previously. And you, we drop into this, and there's you, you've got to have a plan, and you've got to have a good team around you. And so, Debbie, I'll just remind the folks: you served at the. You, you've been a, a, a teacher, an instructor. You've also been a school board member, and you've done work at the district level, and then served many years on the state board of education, and as president of the state board for two years. So that's the kind of background, and and then and and uh, and then a mother with children that went through school, right? So you bring all of that to the table the first day you enter office as state superintendent. Yes, and, and I needed all of that to, to be um, at a, a functioning level, to, to really be able to be productive. I can't imagine um, having, you know, your first day be the first day that you're learning acronyms, that you're learning the, <laughs> the appropriations, that you're, you know, that you're trying to even understand the system of how the State Department of Education yeah. intersects with the Board of Education and local districts and, and all of those things. And, and so I felt that I, you know, and frankly, one of the things that I, I said as a candidate was that I believe that, that that type of experience was a huge benefit and value for, a, for someone stepping into that role, that I don't need a year, three years to figure out the job. Yeah. And hopefully on my second term, well, maybe now I'm able to make some progress. No, we're able to to hit the ground running and get going on the first day. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, folks, we're visiting with Superintendent of Public Instruction, Debbie Critchfield, here on Keep Idaho Red Radio. And um, Debbie, one of the responsibilities uh, of the uh, Superintendent of Public Instruction is you are the face of public instruction 
and of of public schools in idaho and people look to you to um help um provide the leadership necessary in recognizing that um and and supporting of public education but at the same time recognizing that there are improvements that need to be made and those aren't uh, exclusive one from another right you can have a good education system but also recognize that there's some uh, improvements that need to be made and 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 some very important ones and so talk to us about real real quick about you know that messaging and how you build the support for public education but at, at the same time um, champion those efforts that are necessary to improve it I think it, it takes in a, a lot of um participants in, in how we do this. Clearly, we want to restore the feeling around public education. I don't believe that COVID created uh, the, the feelings that, that many of our citizens have around the state, that the public schools weren't meeting the needs of their students and of their communities. I believe it actually highlighted where those gaps were and really intensified some of the feelings that were already there. And, and so I, I view myself um, as an advocate not only for schools when it comes to um, representing their needs and and what they're doing to the legislature and to the communities, but also bridging those gaps um, with our families and and with a lot of our educators as well. They they also um, are caught in these crosshairs of what are we doing in education? Are we really satisfying um, the the needs that that we believe that our students should have or or should have um, taken care of? Are we looking at the basics, reading and math, and focusing on those things that, that are most important? And so when we, we think of you know, education, there, there are so many um, moving parts in, in this machine, and, and I'm, I, I am excited about the opportunity that we have to, to really restore the value of education and, and to create and uh, maintain trust um, between all of our, our friends in education. Well, Debbie, you obviously, one of your biggest um, priorities with uh, coming out with your, your, between your campaign and then your transition team and then your legislative efforts was to really uh, re-embrace and put the parent in the proper role uh, when it comes to their own children's education. So one of the bills that was passed through this year is basically called the Parents' rights bill. And so can you talk to people about what that bill does and why it was such a high priority for you and uh, and just tell people how that went? This was something I, I'm very proud of. We had broad support when it was all said and done. I, I think the final vote tallies between the House and the Senate before the governor signed it. I think it was 101 uh, that had voted yes on it and three that voted no. And I, you know, I, I scratched my head on those three. I'm trying to understand that. But anyway, uh, th- this whole bill was intended to foster relationships of trust, uh, to build um, confidence, kind of what we were talking about before, and emphasize how important communication and notification is between schools and families. And we want, when we talk about public education, we want and need the public back involved in public education. Most of our schools are doing the things that are now codified in law. It's notifying a parent, asking for consent. If we can 
get a letter sent home to tell a, a mom or a dad that, hey, we need you to sign this permission slip because we're going to take your child to the pumpkin patch on Thursday. Or we send out, a, you know, mass text messages that say it's spirit week. Don't forget to, you know, have your child that's crazy sock day on Friday or whatever. Why would we not then expect a school to communicate, here is a survey that we're going to administer to your child, and here are the questions on here. Or we have a relationship with um, a, a medical group in town, and they come in in the fall, and they check everyone's eyesight. To me, these are just fundamental things that, that we would continue to communicate about. And so it, it leads parents, and I think what it does is these are not new rights for parents. God, God has given parents rights when you, you know, have that child. But what I have heard from families, they needed a roadmap when they would go in and, and have a, a concern or a question or, hey, how come you didn't talk to us about this? There, there are situations and circumstances where um, they, they didn't feel like they got that resolution or even could open the door to the conversation. And so now it's very clear. Here it is right in front of you, moms and dads. Know, get, know what, what you can talk about and, and know how to go in and approach these situations. But I mean the transparency and being able to see the curriculum, being able to yeah, um, sit, so in your class, sit in the class, classroom absolutely. and see what's happening there. Um, Absolutely. The, the, this is how we get the public back into public schools. You don't drop your child off, shut the door, walk away, and then six, eight, whatever, however many hours later your child comes home. Um, you, you hope that things you know went well at school. This transparency, I like that. I, I, I like bridging this communication gap that we've had. And it really, as I said, is, is intended to foster the types of relationships that are absolutely critical between uh, families and schools for a child's success. And I really do appreciate the transfer, being able to see the curriculum and really engage the school more openly. You know, and during during the COVID time, I believe was when it was introduced, the governor in, uh, introduced a program called Empowering Parents. I believe at that point it was about a $50 million program. Um, I think I'd like you to talk about where that program is today has it changed in terms of its priorities, uh, the size of it, um, who's taking advantage of that? Just bring us up to and whether it still exists. It does still ex- exist, and it, it started, um, I'm going to call, let's see, it would have been the, the fall of the first COVID school year, and um, it was intended for the obvious reasons to provide parents an opportunity to supplement educational services or needs that they had because of the circumstances. You know, school looked different all over the state and, you know, we wanted to make sure, and I was a part of that while I was a member of the Board of Education working with the governor's office on how to put that together. And and that was federal money that, that was used, federal COVID money. Well, um, this year the governor recommended, and it was uh, later uh, proof through the legislative process, $30 million of ongoing money uh, that would be able to continue the program. Now, something that is new that's going to happen this summer, and I encourage parents of school-aged children to, to consider this, uh, part of the Empowering Parents legislation created a parent panel, an advisory panel, that would make recommendations on what would be allowable expenditures within that. And um, this panel, we're getting this together. The appointing 
uh, people for the panel. The, the governor chooses three, the speaker of the house chooses two, and the pro tem chooses two as well. And and so this seven member panel is going to be initiated this summer. Um, I've been asked to chair the, the committee and we're gonna meet over the summer months and, and talk about what what have we missed when we when we talk about what parents can use to um, add to their child's education? What are we missing? What should that look like? And um, again, I would encourage people who, if you have a school-aged child and you could have or did apply for um, funds previously with Empowering Parents, that makes you eligible. And so you can go to empoweringparents.idaho.gov uh, for the application. It's a one-pager. And it goes immediately to those three people that I just talked to you about. I don't have anything to do with the selection of the committee, uh, but it, it really is a fantastic opportunity for our parents to, to weigh in. So we're speaking with um, Superintendent of Public Instruction, Debbie Critchfield. And Debbie, we just talked about the Parents' Rights Bill, the Empowering Parents. One other thing that uh, parents have been really asking for, and I know you, were, you worked on this uh, during the session, um, is really ESA, the, the voucher system, money following the kids, those types of themes. So um, maybe you could talk about the efforts that were made there and what you see going forward and maybe give people a snapshot of what what happened during this session on that topic. My last count, I believe there were five, uh, at one point, five different pieces of legislation uh, to address this issue. In the end, none of them made it successfully, um, even through both bodies. Uh, they they stalled out, either in a committee or on, on one side of the Capitol or the other. My conclusion for that is this. I don't believe we've come up with the Idaho solution. My experience with this over the last few months was that it was, um, in many cases, a, a national uh way to solve it. Hey, this is how another state is looking. You know, that's how they've solved this issue or that this is how they're talking about it for families. Why don't we do it like, you know, fill in the blank state does it um, or other um, national groups that are interested in this topic that would say, hey, this is the policy that we believe that Idaho should use. And, and by no means do I think that this um, discussion or conversation is finished. I just don't believe that we have gotten to the place that we say, yeah, this is what feels right for our state. Now, as I just pointed out with the Empowering Parents panel, I believe that this is going to be one of the um, priority topics. Should Empowering Parents uh, allow monies to go to private tuitions um, or, or to some of these other um, parts of the conversation. And so I, I think that over the summer, we're going to see quite a bit of discussion on it. We'll, we're definitely going to see something coming in the next legislative session. And I'd, I'd love to be a part of, of facilitating the Idaho solution. Well, uh, appreciate those comments, uh, Debbie. And, and I, I think what you're explaining is um, that education is, is very complicated. There's a reason that states have... Um, ultimate responsibility for education because all states are different right and so to your point um, what works in one state isn't necessarily the right fit for another state and the Constitution gives us that ability uh, to, uh, to to manage that way Let, let's talk about some things that did happen that are uh, really encouraging when it comes to preparing kids for 
uh, to be successful after high school, regardless of what they choose to do. Some will choose to pursue uh, four-year degrees. Others will pursue um, things in the trades. We know that most 60 70 percent of the jobs um, today require more than a high school diploma but not necessarily a two or four year degree and so you made some huge progress when it came to programs that focus on career technical education talk to us about that and 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 why that's so important to you and uh and the amount of time and effort put into it this was the number one thing that i heard around the state and I know I've shared this statistic before, but it, it, I think it bears highlighting again. You know, in 14 months, I put 55,000 miles on my car. And I drove everywhere repeatedly and to places that I, you know, I didn't even know were towns in Idaho and, and went to the smallest of the small districts and schools and, and to the biggest and everywhere in between. This was one consistent theme that I heard not only from uh, families, from parents, but I heard it from students and I heard it from educators. There is not enough attention and resources put into skill development and the conversation and advising that needs to take place for our students. When I look at rural Idaho, uh, a a 10,000 square foot shop is a game changer for a community, particularly with a business that is very reflective of the geographical and and regional um, needs of, of those communities. But then we put that pressure on the local taxpayer most of our school districts cannot um, support any type of bond construction or or levies for these types of things and i respect that it's not because our communities don't value education but they they feel that they have been taxed to this point of fatigue and so i took the conversations that we're having i looked at the data um, that says less idahoans are going on to college which is fine but where are they going and our students want to have a jump start and they want to be prepared Uh, with skills and training uh, that they can have a, you know, that they they can get ready for their life and their career. And so we put together legislation that we're calling the Idaho Career Ready Student. Um, There's a one-time appropriation of $45 million that will go into capital um, projects, prioritizing rural areas around the state, prioritizing partnerships with a local business, excuse me, and then $5 million that will go into added cost funding. As we expect and would count on, it costs more money to run a diesel mechanic program or an automotive program than it does a PE class. And so we're going to, over the summer, we want to get um, schools to, to bring their proposals on, on what they can do. And um, we don't want schools to drive their programming based on what the federal government says. And there's a limited amount of state dollars that go into these um, career technical programs, and our smaller schools get prioritized out of the pie. Most of our money stays in Region 3. I'm not trying to take money away from Region 3. We want them to have their money. But I also want uh, to make sure that we're providing the same educational experience around the state. And so we have funds to do that now. Wonderful. And then the launch program is just another opportunity for students to pursue those uh, those um, CTE type of programs that they have uh, participated in in high school. Right, and, and I would add one other part to that. I would say that because of what we're going to be able to do now with the um, Career Ready Student Program, we position Idaho students to make the very best decisions if they choose to access that, access that money through launch. It's not now going to be, well, what do I think I want to do? 
No, I've spent a year or more in programs that tell me I can now go to lineman school. I can now go and get a diesel tech degree for a year. I can now go do these things. And it, and it helps them be uh, wiser about their decisions and a better steward over the funds that they're going to get. So, Debbie, today in Idaho, every high school kid has access to $4,200 for advanced uh, opportunities, which they can use for to earn college credits towards a college degree they can use it towards cte type certificates and licensure and and now um another eight thousand dollars once they graduate uh where so to focus on post high school uh education opportunities and so your point is a student can is engaging very early and they see a pathway all the way to the career that they are uh hope to have in, in their future Yes, and, and I think that when you think about this as, as a pathway uh, to success in, in, in a career, we don't, we've opened up these doors. And, and we want to have milestones and we want to have um, advising along the way. We want a student to be able to see down, down the path, not just, well, I'm going to take this class and then I hope I figure out what I want to be when I grow up when I graduate from high school. Let's get a sense of that. Now, clearly, students change. I don't know of any 15-year-old that, you know, that frontal lobe is still developing. There, there's a lot of decision-making to still be done. But if we put them in, in a position uh, to have the, the very best conditions for success, not only does that help them, but it helps our communities and it helps our state. Wonderful. Listen, we just have a, a minute or so left here, and I, I want to touch on one thing that um, – uh, that that was a, another big front burner issue, and that is the issues of libraries. Now, the governor uh, uh, ended up vetoing uh, a bill that did get through the legislature with a lot of, there was controversy, I don't know if that's the right word, but there was a lot of uh, emotions around that bill. And uh, so talk to us about your thoughts in, you know, maybe it fits into your whole idea of parents' bill of rights, that parents are concerned uh, but what's the right approach to making sure that parents are aware of what their children um, are possibly going to be exposed to? I think there's two things around this issue um, that, that I that I can address. One is we have uh, public school libraries, not public libraries, but school libraries that have fantastic protocols in place already. We're, we're going to share those out with other districts so that they can see how these things are being addressed and handled. In, in some communities, um, this is a higher level of, of scrutiny and interest than it is in others because others are, are doing it well. So let's share the good practices that are already taking place around the state so that, that we can all benefit from that. The other thing that um, I began, as soon as I heard that this legislation um, was being created and, and being discussed, I did some work at the Department of Ed to see at what point or, or, or where do we get involved as an agency um, in helping support our librarians? Well, we dusted off um, something from the late 90s, and, and Tom, you may remember this, but there, there was this librarian's guide, so to speak, that Marilyn Howard's name was on. And I thought, well, that may be um, an, an indication of, of why we have some of the trouble we have that, you know, perhaps this got lost in the shuffle of, of a lot of things. And so I've been in the process um, over the last month specifically in, in looking at um, resources that we have in other states, again, what our current um, schools are doing, and then what other um, standards that we can have in place for librarians so that we can go and train and support good work 
and um, a, a good managing system for um, checking out books. And so, and buying books. Yes, and and, and and then, uh, like you said, there's some practices out there already where parents can be uh, can easily um, be aware of what books their child are are in the library, and um, and 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 be able to uh, um, assure that the school district knows that they they for for example they don't want their child to have access to that book. Right, and, and, and that's exactly um, the systems protocols. I mean, we've got technology. There's a lot of things that we can use. That's how we check it. We don't have a card catalog anymore right. in our, our libraries. There, there are ways that, that we can attach a filtering system, make that very open uh, to parents. Where, where parents, um, we don't have to get rid of, well, there are some books that we universally agree should not be on shelves. And then we have that area where one parent says, well, that's acceptable to me. And another parent says, well, that's not acceptable to me. How do we then have those um, discussions and, and find solutions where you don't remove a book, but you have something in place that limits one child um, and maybe doesn't limit another? Well, you've been gracious with your time and appreciate you being on Keep Idaho Red Radio, uh, Superintendent of Public Instruction, uh, Debbie Critchfield. Um, thank you for your service to Idaho and, and to the kids of Idaho, and um, we uh, wish you well going forward. We have a couple more things that we want to visit with you, so we're going to have you back on the show soon, and a couple of those deal with the budget that was passed. I know the financial literacy that you've wanted was passed, and it's now a high school requirement, but um, we'll have you back soon, and we'll dive deeper into those subjects and happy Sounds Easter. great thank you enjoy the Easter weekend yes thank you so much